Welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. My name is Andy Zaremba, and with me behind the mic today, as usual, is my brother, Mike. Mike. Behind the mic. How's it going, everybody? Nice to see you. Nice to be with you. Nice to uh, have me talking to your earbuds again, doing whatever you're doing. Hope you have an awesome day or night. And um, yeah, obviously, we're podcasting here at a float house, 70 West Cordover Street in downtown Vancouver, B.C., Floathouse.ca is our website. If you want to check out flotation therapy and all its plethora of benefits, please use the promo code Vancouver Real and you'll save yourself 20%. And um, also, I'm going to do a little quick uh, product plug for um, a product we carry here. We've had it here for about a year at, at Floathouse, and it's called Brain Evolve. Um, Brain Evolve is a nootropic. Um, it's locally based here. Um, the, uh, the, the creator of it is, um, uh, Matthew Bennett of Bennett's Choice. He's a local naturopath and athletic therapist. And he what, developed What episode was he on? He, oh, he was, we early. interviewed him a while ago. Yeah, he was super early, maybe pre 30 in yeah. that range or pre 40. So, um, yeah. So you can check out Matt Bennett's episode with us. This was actually before he did his product Brain Evolve. And um, basically, it's a, a brain formula which is just got officially recognized and is the only one that can make these claims for concussion uh, treatment and treatment towards its symptomology in terms of dec- decreasing um, those post-concussion syndrome uh, symptoms by, I think, three times. Or I, I'm not exactly sure of the research, but there is effective research for it. And um, it's an awesome product. Uh, great for just overall brain health and uh, I take longevity. it every night before I fall asleep, and it's incredible. I basically take one scoop of that 20 minutes before I go to bed, and like 15 minutes later, I'm out, which is really good for me because I'm a very light sleeper, and it usually takes me a long time to fall asleep. So yeah. to get a full rest of a full like night of restful sleep is pretty invaluable for me. Absolutely. So it's available at both of our locations and online at um, I think it's uh, Bennett'sChoice.com. So check out Bennett's Choice Brain Evolve, and. Um, Back to you, Andy. Sure. When the second product plug of the show would be the Grind Bar. And we, of course, retail these at Float House as well. And originally, they were a CBD product. But unfortunately, we had to take the CB out, CBD out because they are technically illegal still, which will change next year. But either way, it's still an amazing product for energy. It's actually uh, ketogenic friendly. So it's really high in fat. It's all got all sorts of amazing ingredients like hemp hearts, cashews, cacao butter, almonds. I personally like to really use them uh, right before the gym. I have one of these maybe an hour and a half before I work out, and the energy is fantastic. Combine that with a little Tim Hortons coffee or Starbucks or wherever you happen to go, and your energy is fantastic. Or when I really want to just uh, bunker down and do a, a good three, four hours of solid work, I'll take one of these, and it's just great for focus and clarity and energy. So definitely check out Grind Bars. And... Um, also, if you want to get more involved with Vancouver Real and the Vancouver Real community, we have a community page called the Vancouver Real Community Page. And we host monthly uh, events, and they're all free. And the next one coming up is with Steve Maxwell. And Steve Maxwell is a personal trainer to the stars, if you will. He's been on Joe Rogan a bunch of times. He came on our podcast last year. And uh, how would you sum up Joe, um, Steve Maxwell? He's like a functional functional exercise guy, but he's also a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's also into breath work and all sorts of different things like that. But what yeah. would you, how would you sum him up? I look at him. I mean, he's a strength and conditioning coach, and he is, um, but I love his holistic approach, and he's also, I mean, he's, I think, approaching 70 years old now, so he's been yeah. around the block, and he's kind of tried, tested, and true, and like, you know, he'll critique these kind of movement-based guys like Ido Bortal and be like, yeah, I'd like to see him doing that when he's 60 kind of thing because, 
you know, he's kind of gone through the gauntlet of like what's functional longevity and things like that. So I really appreciate his holistic approach and, and I'm really excited for the breathwork, uh, workshop that he's going to be doing with our community and what, what's the date on that again october 23rd cool. uh and you can link up to that event go to the vancouver real uh, community page and uh, candace white has all the events posted up there so it's really easy to find cool so yeah come check us out in person it's much more interesting and fun and we have online. one more meetup on the next one after that is november 7th tuesday november 7th in Kitsilano is with Dr. Carlos de Leon. He's a um, psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and a holistic uh, medicine PhD as well. And he is an expert in, uh, believe it or not, um, out-of-body experiences and astral projection and things like that. So if you want to kind of dive into the universe of the subconscious, then um, come and meet Dr. Carlos de Leon. He was on our podcast a couple episodes ago. And uh, check out that episode because it's very, very fascinating stuff. And we'll be doing a free night with him November 7th. So check out that one as well. Okay, I think that's enough of the plugs, except enough for maybe for Mindful Mass. If you, Mindful Mass is a meditation group that we run basically quarterly, and the next one will be at the Winter Solstice. So if you want to check out that, go to mindfulmass.org, or again, link up with the Mindful Mass Facebook group page as well. So today, I'm really excited to have our guests in the house, and we've actually been linked together um, by a man that we all really respect and has really shaped our opinions. And... Uh, Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, will be making his way to Vancouver on November 2nd, I believe. 3rd. November 3rd and the 4th for two back-to-back events, which is really exciting. And the two gentlemen today are from the University of British Columbia of the Free Speech Society. So, Free Speech Club. Free Speech Club. Okay, so we have Angelo and mm-hmm. Cooper. Welcome to Vancouver Real. Thank you for having Thank us. You. So, um, you know, this topic of free speech has uh, been pretty pretty controversial one for whatever reason and um i want to start off by just asking you guys what is what is the motivation behind creating the ubc free speech club Do you want so basically we wanted to have a platform or a marketplace where basically anybody could go and express their ideas and you know either be supported for it or criticized for it yeah and in that way it's sort of a good idea to uh distill the good ideas from the bad you know, we believe like any kind of dialogue is good dialogue, especially right now when like everything the, you have all these balkanized identity groups, political groups that are sort of separating it from each other. Right. And uh, we basically want to be one united marketplace. Awesome. Yeah. Um, again, it's one of those things that is it's weird because it shouldn't be a controversial group, yet it does drum up controversy. Mm-hmm. And um I, we talked about it a little bit before the before the podcast, and I was wondering, um, you know, what are some of the reactions on campus or some of the responses that you guys are getting? I'm sure there's a mixed bag, but maybe you guys can share a little bit about uh, how how the club is being received on campus. Like we spoke about before the podcast began, um, it's not so much resistance or opinions we get from the student body itself, but from the student body organization, the AMS and the UBC, the school paper. And it's those institutions that we consistently butt heads with, you say consistently? The UBC is all right as a newspaper, but it's mostly like the institution, the bureaucracy, right? Because like, we, we applied, every club has to apply to the AMS and become an official club. And by doing that, you get all these perks and you can rent rooms and stuff like that. And we our application was rejected, right? Yeah. Which now may have been a blessing in disguise, right? But, but uh, yeah, I would say probably the, the institution itself it has been 
mostly against us. Yeah, just right. as an example, we're not pursuing AMS. Um, what's the term? Approval. Approval. Yeah, approval. Um, but so when we want to book rooms at UBC, we have to go through a different club. And that's usually all well and good until the AMS finds out why this club is booking the room and who they're booking it for, which they tend to. So like um, last spring, last spring term, we tried to set up uh, student debates where it was like uh, once every couple of weeks, we all gather together, people pitch us things that they want to debate about, and we give them a platform to debate, and it's kind of moderated, and there's a little bit of a structure, and then there's a Q&A from the audience, et cetera. Sure. And we tried getting a room to do that, and everything was tracking really well until AMS found out, oh, it's for debates for the UBC Free Speech Club, and then we just stopped getting emails back from them. Yeah, it seems very strange because, you know, universities, in my mind, should be an open forum and a place where people can express themselves and explore ideas and, and a relatively safe place. Um, so what is it about, like, the bureaucracy within the university um, that is even making a group like what you guys have created controversial? Why is it even a controversy? Well universities tend to be really left-wing, right? And the unfortunate part of this entire thing is that free speech has, has been put in this right-wing box, right? And from their end, they seem to think that free speech club is just a, like a, you know, a shield or something to hide in. It's a, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what they think, right? right? right. And I think that's why they're a little bit suspicious of us, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not super well-versed in the arguments of the left in terms of free speech, but one of the most common things that I, I hear is that um, that they believe that people want to have freedom of speech so they can speak uh, hate, have, have hate speech or a platform for hate speech, mm -hmm. and it really has nothing to do with that at all. From what I understand, you guys are uh, simply just creating a platform where people can speak about whatever they want. Is, yeah. that, is that correct? Yeah. Essentially, yeah. 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 So um, why do you think it is so threatening, in a sense, to people? When, or why, are they, why would they try to, to demonize you as, as being, you know, or, or even labeling the group as racist or something like that uh, if um, all you're really doing is saying, we want everyone to have a voice? So why do they go, why do they go that route? I think the big difference between these two camps, the one that supports free speech with almost no limits and the one that doesn't, is that we have different ideas of what constitutes harm, right? So where we draw a line at free speech is speech that provokes tangible harm on someone, right? You can't go around saying, I'm going to kill group X, let's all get together and kill group X. But you can say, I hate group X, I wish group X wasn't around etc. One's opinion and one's a call to action, right? But from what I think from what we've experienced in our conversations with people, especially on our um, Reddit AMAs, a lot of people think that just voicing opinions put pe puts people in direct harm, right? So saying I hate group X essentially amounts to a call to violence, right? Right. Um, so from that perspective, I understand what they're concerned about. We just have different ideas of where the line should be and yeah. we just don't think voicing opinions is you have to be able to voice opinions yeah. yeah i mean you want that person to go out you want that person to go out and say i hate group x so everyone standing around him can say well no group x is fine you suck and kind of yeah. bring that opinion out into the light and ridicule it if it's worthy of ridicule and and uh identity politics has a lot to do with it right, <clears throat> right. Yeah. they're attributing the opinion of the individual to the collective right and i think it might be confusing for them because 
we allow a platform to anybody. A lot of people say, like, would you allow some, like, neo-Nazi to post in the club page? The answer is, yeah, we don't restrict anybody. But if he posts, we're all going to intellectually create an argument and tear him down, right? We're going to give have. him a, a pet. Yeah, and they have. And we, and we give them a pedestal to stand on. But we're going to, if your opinion is stupid, it's going to be destroyed. We'll right? let you know that your opinion is stupid. Right, yeah, stupid. exactly. So basically, you guys have the platform, and you're allowing anybody to express whatever ideas they want. But they... I mean, need to stand in that fire, whatever comes at them, right? Yeah. So, and I think, um, I feel like that's really important. I think it's like, you know, if, if, if we do restrict freedom of speech, you know, these groups, the hate groups or whatever you want to call them are going to go underground, you know, and I would rather personally know if they're around and even have a chance to try to, uh, to, to let's let's break that down. Let's unpack their ideology. Where is it coming from? Why do they have that belief? As opposed to saying like, "Oh, you just you're not allowed to say it," mm. which I think is almost more dangerous. So, I guess what you were saying, like, you think it's basically the fear that perhaps if you even talk about it, that it's going to target. Uh, and ca- cause harm to a particular group, yeah. um, or I, get new members for that said yeah. ideology. Right? right. They have a idea of like out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. If it's out of sight, it's not growing. But I think it's a little more wise to you know friends close, enemies closer. If there are Nazis and communists about, I want them within you know eyesight, so I know if they're growing, you know, and what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. You know, I was listening to uh, it was actually Sam Harris podcast, and uh, they were talking about this a little bit. And I think they were saying that, um, you know, if, if somebody, or Mosenstein Harris, I can't remember where I heard this one. I listen to a lot of podcasts. But um, they were saying, like, if somebody does come out and they, and they are against whatever group and they openly express that, and let's say they're a business owner or um, they're in charge or they're a higher up in an organization, like, if somebody comes out and says that openly, like, they will get destroyed, oh, yeah. right? So it's just like... I don't think anybody would would even do that, even if they were, because of the, the consequences these days. Like, yeah. if you came out as a business owner and said that you were against a certain group because of whatever reason, um, like it's going to be all over social media. Who knows what would happen to your actual physical business? So it's like, you know, the consequences will happen. So it's like, say what you're going to say, but you know, be aware, yeah, be, be aware that yeah. there's going to be consequences to what you say. With how fast information spreads, especially through social media, it's almost like society's developed a self-correcting mechanism when it comes yeah. to these things and the downside of that is that someone could be falsely labeled and falsely targeted and then that mechanism gets pointed right yeah fake news fake it gets news. pointed right at them right yeah and it's not fair but if there's you know an actual neo-nazi running a fortune 500 company goes out on record and says something terrible we can all we'll all know it like that and, and, and then there'll be massive consequences for okay. that so um when you guys, when you approach somebody new on campus or somebody approaches you and they start asking these type of questions, like, how, how do you feel those questions? How do you, you know, reassure them that you, you guys aren't, you know, proponents of, of hate or mm-hmm. uh, injustice or inequalities or anything like that? Uh, how, do, how do you reassure them when, when, they, when you get to ask these questions? My personal go-to is bringing up that the founder of the club is a South Korean immigrant who's currently engaged to a South African <coughs> transgender woman. <laughs> so try and play that you know, Pressure yeah. Olympics as best we can. Right. Yeah. But it's mostly just dialogue, right? Like the best way to do, for example, uh, do you know Dr. Jonathan Haidt? 
No, I don't. Okay, so he's he's a pretty famous, almost Jordan Peterson level. I would okay. say Jordan Peterson level is a little, little higher. Him out for sure. But uh, basically, he wrote this great book called The Righteous Mind, which basically explains why we believe we're right. It explains tribalism, right? And we've been in touch with him because we wanted to bring him. And uh, he essentially told us, don't fight fire with fire. Fight fire with water. And he thinks well, the way we're doing everything is just perfect because... We could just go the other way and just call everyone like a cuck or whatever. You know, like that's that's what a lot of people do, right? You have people like, you know, maybe Milo Yiannopoulos who I don't think that necessarily helps everything. I think it just makes the tribes hate each other more. So what we do is we... Polarizing, yeah, right? We kill them yeah. with kindness, basically, when we see someone, you know, who's approaching us. Because at this point, joining the club is like this weird taboo thing on campus. Like I know a lot of people... Who are like, I want to join you guys, but like, is this going to happen? A lot of freshmen, especially, right? Because mm. the freshmen come on campus and then, you know, either they join us right away or they hear from, you know, the social justice center or whatever that we're evil. And then they feel a little, you know. Right. So um, how often do people actually challenge your group? Uh, maybe not Maybe not the ones who are dead set against you, but the ones who are just challenging you. And how, how is, do you guys have a... A, I'm going to say cure rate. Um, can you convince them otherwise, usually, when someone actually approaches you and you says, I want to know what you guys are about, and there's someone skeptical, mm -hmm. and you open up a conversation, how likely are they to open up to your group and be like, oh, you guys are actually okay? Depends on which member they're talking to. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think if they and, to... and, and it depends whether they actually join the, the group, right? <clears throat> a lot of people don't know that if you join our Facebook page, our Facebook group, you're part of the club. But a lot of people join that that group just to criticize us and tell us how bad the club is. But I'm like, you're a member, right? You're participating. You're right. participating. You're engaging, uh, right. You're group. doing it. So, yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. There was one guy who made a, a post in there the other night, and um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was questioning freedom of speech, and it was basically along the lines of like, I really want to believe that it's about freedom of speech and not about uh, creating a platform for hate speech. <laughs> And a bunch of people jumped on, and he's like, he's like, I really want to believe this, and I'm mm -hmm. like, well, why can't you? Why can't you believe that? Like, why? Why do you automatically assume just because it's about freedom of speech that it's a platform to support something negative? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, because um, it is in large part. I mean, that's the whole idea yeah. behind giving everyone a soapbox, right? We're going to get a lot of you know, atrocious people using it, yeah. but right. we want to balance that out with good people using yeah. it, right? So you're creating that platform for yeah. uh, hopefully healthy yeah. and respectful discourse yeah. and yeah. one of the beautiful things about the club is that usually you know a lot of people tell me whenever i post something there's always so and so who will immediately criticize it and vice versa right mm -hmm. and i had that in the beginning too i think you had it too and then there's always someone you're like oh man this guy's just gonna jump on me right away right but as time goes on you find that it becomes friendlier even though you're on opposite ends of the mm -hmm. political spectrum because gotcha. when you're stuck in a space with someone, you're just forced to get along. And I think that's a major problem that we're seeing today is that, like, everyone's just in their own echo chamber, and they don't, it's, it, they're isolated, right? Mm. So naturally, they're going to become tribal, right? right? So would you say that's probably one of the biggest arguments for freedom of speech then, just to, to open up conversation and not create that polarization then? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, we've seen it in our Facebook group. I mean, we'd have, you know... What began as rivalries kind of mm -hmm. turn yeah. into friendships or mutual respect that still has a little bit of contention, like a Madison and Oliver was a pretty <laughs> yeah, big one yeah, yeah. for yeah. a while. Yeah, so you just had like these pairs of people that would always go at each other, and eventually they just kind of got cordial and friendly yeah. and learned where the other person was coming from. They can still yeah. disagree, but they're not, you know, yeah. they're sharing a space. They're not right? throwing pejoratives at each other. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, and a lot of this stuff, I probably was inspired by uh, by Jordan Peterson mm -hmm. and um, 
I had a friend made a post about him the other day, and they're like, he was talking about the controversial rise of Jordan. Mm. And um, the funny thing is, like, he doesn't really say anything that's overly controversial. It's mm. just how it was portrayed in the media and what happened at U of T mm-hmm. and everything like that. And actually, first of all, uh, congratulations for bringing him out here, by the way. Thank you that's very much. incredible. Um, you know, Jordan has one of the, he's had one of the, the fastest rises. Um, I've seen out of like an internet personality type mm-hmm. of person. Like, you know, I, I think it was, I first kind of heard of him back in October, November last year. Yeah, same. Um, and then all of a sudden now he's this online celebrity. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's out of reach for some of us unless you've had an established relationship. Mm-hmm. So congrats on doing that. Yeah. Um, so um, how, much, how much would you say that he's actually influenced like the club and, and your personal thinking? I would say he shaped the club into what it is now. You know, in our initial stages, the club looked different, right? And when we brought him back in April, it was a really monumental moment because he sort of made us realize what we need, what we are and what we need to become, right? Mm. And, And we've released a whole new guideline of how we should run the club. Because before that, in its initial stages, I could see how some people would say, well, well, it's just a, you know, a bunch of Trump supporters or whatever, right? Our first event was sitting outside the nest which is the kind of student union uh, building yeah, yeah. with uh trump hats right make america great again make canada great again hats yeah. so yes admittedly our coming onto the stage at UBC you might have drawn some attention to yourself the most non-partisan like the whole idea was to get people in to talk to us about whatever they want yeah. right um but it might have been a little too theatrical a little too on the nose. did it get attention it oh, got yeah. a lot of attention it worked it Worked in that regard. Rebel Media of, reported on Yeah, it, like a lot that. of people just will always jump back to, oh, you're the guys who wore MAGA hats outside the nest. Go to yeah. hell. Yeah. Right. And another right. thing is that they will judge the club based on what executives do on their own private time, right? So we have our, our founder, Lewis. Uh, I think he took part in like this abortion club in, on UBC. And then I saw some people pro-life like club. pro-life, pro-life club. Yeah. Club. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pro-life club. And some people will say, well, the UBC Free Speech Club, their president is or their founder is so-and-so. Therefore, this is what the club stands for. Right. And that's that's like problematic because we realize, well, what we want to do is like not have any partisan control or any idea as executives. Like we've taken it upon ourselves to just have a platform, have a marketplace and just leave it alone and not try to impose our will on it. Right. Obviously, when we post in it individually, we'll be like, hey, here's what I think. Right. But I can see how a lot of people will be like, well... Oh, it's run by such and such who believes this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And our bias definitely shows when it comes to events, right? It's no, oh, you know, yeah. no coincidence that we're going to have had Jordan Peterson do four separate events with us in the course of a year. Yeah. We obviously really like them. Yeah. And it's no coincidence that we try to get Gad, Sad, Dave, Ruben, Ben Shapiro, those guys yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and we, we want to bring people based on demand, right? If yeah. there's a demand for a speaker in the marketplace... We'll bring them, right? And, and you know, we want to bring really left-wing people just to, to, to balance it out. Almost, sure. Right? But Who would you have on if you, if you could pick? Cenk Uger. Cenk Uger, probably. Oh, yeah. who's, who's that? I don't know. He's who that uh, is. the Young Turks. He's the host of the Young oh, okay, Turks. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, it's tough finding, like, a really left-wing speaker who really loves free speech which is kind of unfortunate now. Who wants to participate with us. In Who wants to participate capacity. with us, right? But there, there are a few. There, there's a, a, this, this professor called Dr. Richard Wolf. I think he's, heard, he's, heard uh, I, don't, I didn't really know of him either, but a friend of mine recommended him. So I'm like, okay, we'll look into it, right? But uh, th- that's our goal, basically. Have you, ever thought about, sorry, have you ever thought about doing, like, debates with these people? Like, oh, definitely. We, definitely, definitely. But a lot of them, you know, it, it, it's rough. It's rough when, when you tell someone, hey, come here and debate so-and-so. It's not at – they don't say yes right away to that. Because and, yeah. In regards yeah. to, say, we try to get Chank debate, you know, 
Ben Shapiro again like he already did. Yeah. Us being the UBC Free Speech Club and him taking just a quick glance at our past events, he would know where our bias is hmm. and he wouldn't be... What's the word? He, he wouldn't be uh, like remiss to assume that we're kind of trying to lead him into yeah, almost a trap. It's like a trap, right? right. Like we're trying to kind right. of get him in a gotcha moment. And, yeah. Nah, so. Right, but you, would, I assume you guys would make it a, a, a fair debate, and you want to hear oh, of both opinions yeah. on both sides. And but would you go to a group who is all rooting for your opponent, and an audience that would probably largely be rooting for your opponent? It would be tough. Yeah, yeah. So totally. you got you mentioned those biases. So what type of biases would you say? Well, just you know, like like I'm pretty sure all five of us. There's five executives, right? I'm pretty sure we're all libertarians, right? So essentially, yeah. Yeah, I would say maybe Jordan, our president Jordan, might be conservative, but mm. but we're mostly libertarian, right? Yeah. Can you give a definition of a libertarian? Libertarianism is a big tent. Like if there's a lot of things that fall under libertarianism, so anarcho-capitalism is libertarian, uh, classical liberalism is libertarian, um, a desire to go back to the original U.S. Constitution is libertarian. Uh, so libertarian libertarianism is hard to define, but I think the best way of thinking about it is just classical liberal values. And then whatever, however you go off that path, like to your own personal preference from there, you know, is up to the individual. But I think the baseline is the classical liberal values. And see, that can be really confusing for people yeah. because when you talk about the left, they, they, they see themselves as liberal, mm-hmm. right? But um, class... So what would be the difference between someone on, like, maybe on the far end of the spectrum on the left and, say, a classical liberal? Why don't you talk about the classical liberal values a little bit? Individual liberty. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, I think that what you see on the current left today is this obsession with the collective and the group and however they want to draw a line, if it's down gender, if it's down race, if it's down economic class, language, whatever, they're focused on the group, whereas the classical liberal is just purely focused on the individual. The individual is the smallest minority, right? Mm. And um, classical liberals also have a big uh, thing for natural rights. Um, and I don't think the modern left necessarily has a big thing for natural what rights. What do you mean natural rights? Natural rights um, in the sense that everyone has these rights, freedom of association, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of expression, uh, freedom to own property, um, freedom like to marry who you want, yeah, freedom you know? to make a, a living. Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 Right. Just yeah. kind of, you have these inalienable rights to quote the greatest document ever written. And any violation of that is violating almost the word of God, at least how it's written in the yeah. U S constitution. And you have the non-aggression principle, which a lot mm-hmm. of people like, right? It's you're, you're never going to be, ag- unless provoked, yeah. right? You're never going to cause, you're never going to be aggressive. Right. Right. And I think being libertarian is also kind of, good in terms of our opinions of free speech because there again there's this notion that free speech is a right-wing thing and you can't you know everybody on the right is is totally you know they never they never commit any uh any crime against free speech but we can see just from this week like the president you know saying like oh you shouldn't be allowed to kneel uh, during the right. NFL thing right yeah like, it's so, so calling the, the owners to fire them right no, he did he yeah. did yeah. so you're but, saying the the far right also uh isn't pro free speech oh, 100 especially after charlottesville we realized oh, that God. we we had a long you know meet up after charlottesville and we realized like we gotta be careful because yeah. we realized that you know what the far right is just basically the same yeah. it, it's they're in a, they're a different color they're a different team but they're not, you know, it's, it, it's really dangerous, actually, yeah. because they're so attractive and they're so good at attracting young men, especially, where it is a bit of a trap. The far right it, is? The far right. How so? Because it's, it's really gaining momentum really quickly. And 
they use, you know, they use memes, which sounds like, you know, whatever. We use memes too. Everybody uses memes, but I've noticed that all these people that maybe once ago I kind of liked and I kind of like listening to, they've kind of revealed their true colors. And I think that happened at Charlottesville, especially where I realized that, you know, because for the longest time, these really alt-right guys, they were saying, we're just libertarians, right? We're just, you know, but uh, then... So lib- it was like a Trojan horse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, they proved that when they, you know, drove a car into someone. The right. non-aggression principle was broken. See, so. that's that's the gross part is when someone's representing something completely different. And, and I, I guess that's where some of the skepticism comes towards the, the free speech club because they're like, it's, they've seen it before, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if you are truly for free speech, you're not, if you're in the middle, then you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be on the alt-right or anything like that. Yeah, no. And, like, we support the that group's right to have held that rally as atrocious as we think it was. As far as I know, it was just a rally to keep that Confederate monument, yeah. which I'm pretty partial to myself. I, I don't but, care about the statues thing. Oh, but well, you're not American. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's just, I don't... I don't think it's that big of a deal no. to take them down. I don't think it's that big of a deal to leave them up. There's down. bigger fish to fry, I feel like. But it's, again, I'm not American. Maybe no, this... I'm destroying American history. Okay. Is a big okay. <laughs> but, so yeah. when when you uh, speak to any of these people who are on the far left or far right about these classical liberal views, like when you listen to it broken down like that, they, they sound pretty appealing. They seem like that, that seems about right. You know, you should be allowed to express yourself freely as an individual. Um, what are, what are people, what do people generally, what are you met with when you explain it to them that way? Oh, I'm that. That's what people say, right? I guess I'm that, right? Cause most people, I think most people actually are libertarian and they just aren't really aware of it. Right. Because it's pretty just common sense when it comes down to it. Sure. Yeah. yeah they're libertarian, but they're libertarian in what's the right way of saying it. They love what libertarianism stands for, but they also have a deep attraction to using the state to shape the world to how they want it to look, right? So they love the principles of libertarianism, all these, all these personal freedoms, all these, yeah, individual autonomy, etc. But they are perfectly willing to violate that with the state in order to make society look a little more like the way they yeah. want. So on the left, it would be kind of promote equity, right? Not equality, but equity. And then on the right, it would be I don't know. It's hard to understand it's, what the it's all a bit, right it's actually a spectrum, wants. Right? Well, the right's very, like, as Jordan Pearson would describe them, they're more conscientious, right? They want to draw out a line in the sand and say mm-hmm. this is where things end. That wouldn't even be the far right. That would be just, like, the conservatives yeah, yeah. mostly, right? And, of course, left is, is generally more open. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I find really interesting is that uh, this this ongoing battle between the left and the right um, is has actually been going on for a very long time. And, it's, and actually, it's needed because both sides keep... Hmm. everything going in in a, in a good direction right yeah. but you know the scary thing is when you shut down that free speech like jordan has said um you know the, the problem is right now the left and the right aren't talking to each other yeah. and that's the bigger problem because yeah. usually they're going to keep each other in check right because yeah. you don't want too much right because too much control you don't want too much openness because everything just kind of falls apart you want both because they're, they're self-correcting in a sense yeah there's yeah, a time yeah. for both right yeah. yeah yeah and a big problem with that is is language itself right they're not talking and when they do talk they've been isolated and divided for so long that the way they use words and definitions is different, right? And that's very, like, I'm sure you've noticed that, right? Where you, you talk to some people and they, they say, well, that's aggressive, that's violence. Your words are actual violence. That's mm-hmm. a really big hurdle to overcome. I mean, when you can't even agree on how you should define words, it makes it 
almost impossible. almost impossible to have a constructive dialogue. Sure. Because then you have to say, all right, back up, let's plant a flag here. We use these three words. We clearly have different definitions. Can you define these words? And you get into these semantics and... Definitions. Yeah. It just doesn't... Yeah. And it's really yeah. valuable if you can muddle your way through it and get some common definitions to kind of go forward. There is a chance that you can have a really good dialogue if the person person's patient enough, but it requires a lot of patience. And online, it's really easy to slip into the trap of, no, fuck this, you're a cuck. And, yeah. Or, you know, you're a Nazi. Get it. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. Um, in which case, you can't do much. Like, no. if somebody just keeps calling you a Nazi, like... Then the why engage with it? Yeah. I mean, I, you can't beg them. You know, some people want, like, pro, like show me this and show... I'm not going to, like, beg you to not call us a Nazi, right? Right. But, like, you know... It's all about how open you are, and it is. It is like it is almost like you're going to a different country when you're talking to some people and you're trying to talk in a different language, right? So it's so a completely yeah. different culture. Yeah. yeah. So we're trying to like cure that in a way in the club. Yeah, it's, I think it's a really important conversation, and it's uncomfortable too, right? Like people generally don't like having these uncomfortable conversations, but it's again, it's it's so critical these days. Um, I think people maybe might be uncomfortable. I mean, this is my opinion. I'm just throwing it out there. Is like, is it are they uncomfortable? Just because we, especially in Canada, um, have a culture that is very anti-confrontational, and just the fact that you're actually going to be like, I'm going to express my opinion and let you express your opinion in this like kind of like, you know, brain confrontation, this battle of the minds. And people are just so not used to it or just uncomfortable just with that experience. Forget about what's even being said. Just like, here I am versus there you are. And just that direct confrontation, it almost seems like for some people that is so triggering Mm -hmm. that they perceive it as like they're attacking me just by standing there and standing in their own space almost. Especially for college students, right? You know, a lot of college college should be the place where university should be a place where you sort of come out of your shell and get your ideas challenged. But, but it seems like that no bueno, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't fly with some people. They can't handle it. So why, how did the universities become uh, more left leaning and how, how, how has it gone this way? And why is free speech like so shunned? Where, where does it all come from? Well, professors tend to be more high in openness anyways, right? So that has to do a lot with it. And then there's also this notion that the cultural Marxists did this long march into the institutions, and mm. that's how, how schools are naturally going to lean to the right, just based on the people who, who become professors. To the based left? On, to, I mean, to the left, yeah. Yeah. Based on the, uh, the people who become professors. Steve okay, Rubin gotcha. had uh, Gadsad on his podcast, I think it was the second or third time, the most recent one, and he asked the same question to Dr. Sad, and he had a really effective response and it has to do with the long march uh, through the institutions and he really broke that i can't repeat it because you know i'm not sad but right yeah he um if anyone's curious as to a more broken down answer he really does a good job of explaining how and why these ideas have crept into these institutions and kind of work themselves into all these fields that you might not expect like sociology okay humanities okay but now getting into biology and chemistry um, sure. So, who was that? Who? Uh, Doctor Sad, Gad Sad. On oh, Gad Sad. He explained how it yeah. actually happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I had someone I was going to go with that. Um, shoot, what was I going to say? I'm drawing a blank on that one. Um, Mike, what was the? Um, oh man, that's okay. No, I was thinking about the episode with uh, Jordan when he was talking about. Um, who was he talking about? 
Anyways, we'll skip that Brett question. Brett Weinstein? Might have been. Who, yeah. So who's Brett Weinstein? So was Brett he... Weinstein was, I guess, a professor at uh, Evergreen College down in Olympia, Washington. Yes, and, that's, uh, that's it. That's right. He basically That objected. was the more extreme version yeah. of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's really yeah. weird. I, like, they have students patrolling the school to with make sure bats. he doesn't get it with bats. Yeah, well, like, they held yeah. the president of the school hostage. And he, when he needed to use the restroom, he had to be escorted by two students. Like they, they made like it's just how is that not like uh, like a criminal thing? Happening? It is, but everybody's too afraid to say anything, right? It, yeah, it's that it's president is just spineless yeah. to be held hostage by your students. It's incredibly weak. Yeah, yeah. But but Brett Weinstein basically he objected to this notion that you know all the white people have to leave the the school yeah. for a day or whatever. And the, and and he's catalyst. super progressive by it, the way. I think he's isn't he suing that college now? He he he, he, he won. Got a settlement. He, he got a settlement. Five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Crazy. He lost his job as well. So you know. So a lot of severance. Yeah. Severance. Effectively. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Effectively. Um, a lot of people attribute this to the postmodernist movement and. Uh, that's not necessarily a super common uh, notion or, or understood to be or very well understood. I was wondering if you guys could break down a little bit in your words what postmodernism is. Well, I guess in its most basic form, it essentially argues that there is no absolute truth, right? Everything is sort of subjective and relative. So, and this plays a lot in the language thing, right? Where it's like, well, what is violence, right? It gets really deep. And it's really sort of attractive because it does sound like a really intellectual, advanced thinking uh, idea, right? But, but you know, at least what Jordan Peterson told me, it eventually goes into this nihilistic state mm-hmm. where you don't get any answers and human beings aren't really meant now, to not have any is answers. Is that like a psychological breakdown of it then? Because I'm thinking, like, let's say I have this... Uh, nervous system and this amygdala that is, you know, suffering from a PTSD from a childhood abuse incident and something that you say to me actually triggers like, let's sort of like a word, a violent response mm-hmm. to me. Whereas for someone that's been grounded and stable, hasn't had that trauma in their life, da 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 you say the exact same thing in the exact same context that you can pseudo replicate. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't have that violent effect. Like is that probably where like their their argument meets the road? Maybe would you say the? Well, I don't know. I'm just kind of exploring. Postmodernism began with interpreting literature. Yeah, the French intellectual sort of began it, and then you have postmodern art, Mm -hmm. right? And then you know you have when I think of the body, right? You're talking about the body. You also have this whole new thing where it's like trans race, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? where, Where basically, like, if you're white, you can you can be, but it's like. You can be black, basically. You're trans, black, trans. Was that one guy's name? Sean King? Sean King, Sean uh, King. Rachel Dolezal. I have not heard that concept You haven't heard yet. about this? No, I So Rachel Dolezal is the big one where she's like this, this you know, waspy, like, white woman. She's demonstrably white. Yeah, she's very white. She has white. a tan now, but basically she, she just decided, like, I'm actually black. Yeah, tanned herself orange, right? got a perm, yeah. marketed herself as black. Yeah, and this yeah. is what we would call, like, a postmodern conundrum, right? Like, it, it's... Totally, it's, right. Because there is conundrum. no truth. Like, nothing is real. Nothing is, is fake. Like, you mm. just are... Whatever you feel you are, you are, right? And the issue with that is that it's been politicized, which is... Uh, yeah, you know, maybe that's my next question. Is, like, how did that postmodernism... Um, uh, perspective get intertwined with like the, the group politics, the group identity, the, the just the social justice kind of stuff. How did that? Did, how did that? How did those match together? Postmodernism 
the ideology says that there's no one correct inter interpretation, right? You can interpret everything in an infinite number of ways, and the interpretation that rises to the top is the one with the power behind it. That knowledge is a product of power. So it's these power dynamics between individuals and especially between groups that matter, and the more powerful individual or group will have their truth come to the forefront. Yeah. And so that there's clearly a direct... Uh, connection between that and maybe you want to say like this neo-Marxist or this collectivist, this identitarian, this identity politics, whatever you want to call it. But you can see clearly if the ideology says that truth is a product of power, knowledge is a product of power among groups, and your concern is with groups, it's a easy ideology to pick up and adapt to Use. And that's why Peterson would argue that all these identity groups are actually born because of postmodernism. Because it's like, imagine you're in an isolated tribe, and your tribe says the sky is blue, and then another tribe you meet says the sky is red, right? And it's, it's sort of like religion when you think about it, right? And that's why Peterson maybe argues that there's a relevance for religion to a point, that it's something, it's a higher moral authority that everybody sort of <clears throat> subscribes to, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of like these really balkanized uh, yeah. identity groups. Well, I really liked uh, I liked his whole uh, psychological significance of the Bible series. I've, yeah. It really opened up my mind to uh, just why that that uh, the, well the whole Bible, especially the Old Testament, was so valuable, and, and I almost likened it to uh, like humanity's first stab at a self help book. Yeah. Like follow these rules, and generally your life is going to work out okay, or, or you're going to have the best chance of your life working yeah. out okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, it was interesting because I, I, I was definitely not a proponent of that belief for a long time. And Jordan was one of the ones who definitely opened my eyes to that. Um, That's not an uncommon story either. I mean, yeah. how many people have reached out to him and said, hey, I used to be like a militant atheist and now I'm really reconsidering Christianity. And I think I'm like, I used to be yeah. a militant atheist and now I'm trying to attend Orthodox churches. And the neat thing about it too is it's it's all based on well, how Jordan breaks it down is observing trends and patterns through nature, actually. Mm -hmm. And it actually translates into stories and old myths, which get translated and shaped and formed by the culture that it's in. And then mm -hmm. it kind of creates this framework or guideline to live your life by. But it actually all comes from, from natural from natural law. Which, which is actually like a very Eastern philosophy kind of perspective, mm -hmm. like Taoism and Buddhism. Like They'll often look to n nature to get their, you know, um, what's the word? Um, not symbols, but um, um, archetypes to live. Archetypes by. Yeah. are um, is the word I'm listening. But Icon anyways, stuff, yeah. yeah, and that's how. So, from my personal experience, like you know, I've practiced quite a bit of yoga and different forms of meditation, and um, read different books along those lines, and and even coming from that background, um, I, I I'm able to pick out parts of what he's saying that I'm like that relates to this part of, of this Eastern religion that I, um, you know, thought found useful for me or whatever. And like, I can start to see how they, they really do blend together. Cause he actually uses the word quite a bit, the word being, mm -hmm. um, now, I mean, what does he actually mean by the word being, but from like the context that he's, that he'll use it in and stuff like, I can really relate to that word in a yeah. lot of different ways too, which is really cool. So you get this, like this so super smearing effect, but the fact that he's bringing it in from so many different ways, I yeah. guess, into his argument, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been really yeah, really effective. He speaks on a lot it. about the symbolism of Eastern religions as well. I mean, it's he does. really mm -hmm, right. Taoism, especially um, the yin yang. He talks extensively about. Yeah, chaos, and, order, yeah. and 
the symbology of all that and and on many different levels as well right yeah and if you look deep enough like that exists in a lot of religions right that's what he's so good at at correlating Mm -hmm. you know these really really basic archetypes of order and chaos right what is good what is bad that really you can see how you know the evolutionary value of that right yeah just the general archetype of duality you know is really what he's kind of poking at there this Mm -hmm. this physical realm that we're on is seems to be dualistic in a lot of ways yeah. and on so many ways on so many levels which probably like i think there's a term for that it's like a universal truth because yeah. it's, it's portrayed on so many different levels of everything yeah, right yeah. you know one one group of people that it, it really has attracted is men and that jordan mm-hmm. talks about how he attracts a lot of young men and it really draws them in i was wondering um what about like him and what he is teaching and talking about uh what do you think is so appealing to men there well, he would say, because he has quite a bit, that he thinks that his advocating of taking on responsibility, that you pick a burden and you bear it, right, mm-hmm. um, attracts a lot of young men because they've been told all their lives, you know, not to, essentially not be men, be a little more feminine. Maybe don't take that next challenge. Maybe don't hold yourself to that high of a standard. Like everyone's right? a winner. Kind yeah, of everyone's a winner. Participation. Participation. Medals. You just yeah. try your best, right? Um but then he goes out and tells young men, you know, enough about rights. You know, you have all the rights you could ever want. Let's talk about responsibilities. Let's talk about what you're going to do with your life. Let's mm. talk about, you know, a the kind of man you want to be. And he does a really good analogy um, in one of his talks. I forget which, um, where he says, do you want to be the person at your loved one's funeral who is making everything right. difficult for everyone? Or do mm. you want to be the person who people look to for I stability like and support yeah. and strength? Right. Right, and so strengthen, like he's all about strengthening the individual, right? Yeah. Um, have you guys uh, done his self offering authoring programs? No, I, I'm not. right at the beginning of it. Yeah. How many? How many people think I've purchased that <laughs> and haven't started it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Right? It, it, hey, I'm halfway tough. through Maps of Meaning, so that's yeah. something. There you yeah, go. that's I've good. I've been reading it for three months, and I'm halfway through. You know, yeah. I think I think it's such a great place to start, though. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the whole format. Again, we purchased it, but I haven't even opened the whole thing yet. But I believe, like. What you're doing is, from him describing this, is that you're you're describing like the worst case scenario for your life in mm. one on one end of the spectrum. Be like, if you did all your continued all your bad habits, all the things that you know are not good, the things that you know you shouldn't be doing, and continue doing those, that what would your life turn out like? Mm. And that's kind of the repelling force. Like that's the thing you want to move away from. Yeah. Then the future authoring, I believe, is more about okay. Ideally, if you could picture like what you want to be, the type of person you want to be, the future you want to have, what does that look like? So yeah. now you have like on this side, you have the thing you're running away from or trying to get away from, and then you have your ideal. So mm-hmm. it's like that North Star, that idea of like mm-hmm. guidance. So it's like when you make your decisions in life, you can be like, am I moving towards the things I don't want or am I moving towards the things that I do want, right? That's the futuring authoring. That's the future authoring program. It breaks down like that, and he's described it as... You know, you create this little hell for yourself to run away from and this little heaven to yes, run to. Exactly. Right? And um, his focus, he'll say, you know, a lot of people think about these things and it's almost crystallized in their mind just by thinking about it. But he puts great emphasis on writing it down because that 
really just strengthens the concept in your mind. He says like writing reorganizes your brain, reorganizes your mind. I think it helps right. you organize your mm-hmm. thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely. one of the one of, one good piece of advice I got was uh, from a, a teacher that I was working with for a while. He's like, if you really want to get organized in your thinking, write a book. You don't even have to publish it. Just write a book because then you'll you'll kind of lay out what you think and your viewpoints and your beliefs, even if you do nothing with it, just to help organize yourself. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. Do you know about the past and present authoring as well? No. Yeah, so the past, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're supposed to write about your past. You break it down into seven epochs. Yeah. And you right. can define the epoch however you want, like uh, from age this yeah. to this. And you write down the most uh, consequential moments in that time period. And the idea is to confront, especially to confront things that were emotionally difficult. Um, he makes a point that if you, something happened to you more than 18 months ago and you still feel an emotional response when you think about it, um, it means you haven't gotten over it, you haven't conquered it, it's still weighing you down. Totally. So it's kind of like the past authoring program is supposed to kind of get rid of the baggage or at least confront some you know, experiences that might be weighing you down. Present authoring, I think, I'm actually not quite sure. Well, the present about. authoring uh, sort of gives you an idea of how to go towards the ideal and away from the hell. How to start right. kind of thing? Or maybe where you're, where you're at. Where you're at, right? Yeah. But where you're at, you need to know where you're going. So... So it sort of asks you questions of what are you doing right now? What are your problems right now, right? Yeah. And that sort of helps you get an idea uh, of, of what's going on, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And also this whole idea of like the hero's journey, right? Yeah. I think that's so appealing for so many men as well. Oh, big I time. mean, because the thing is, we know that every movie script out there is basically based on that theme yeah. of, you know, you're confronting your fears, you're going towards them. And when you, you confront those fears and you slay the dragon, then there's going to be gold at the end of it for or you. A and a version. And a version. Or yeah. Yeah. princess yeah, and a version. Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, those are pretty appealing for men as well. But, it, but it's interesting how uh, we had, uh, like I was saying at the beginning of the, sh- of the show, uh, Dr. Carlos de Leon come on, and he was speaking about this and like, it's easy to get too identified with the, being the hero mm-hmm. and to not acknowledge that is, there's also an adversary within you. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, like, you need to disidentify from the hero and to integrate the adversary so that, mm-hmm. you know, integrate the shadow, basically, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. That yeah. way, like, you, like, yes, like, obviously you have your ideals, but you know there's parts inside of you that won't change that are, like, not good. But can you bring awareness to them? Can you bring them to light mm-hmm. versus them have them be somewhere in the dark affecting you subconsciously and can you use them for something yeah. positive right yeah. right yeah. and that's that's essentially shadow work right and, and jordan said this at uh, the last time you guys had him out the last mm-hmm. event he talked about uh, i think what what yoon said about the shadow he's like the first step towards enlightenment is to, to encounter the shadow mm-hmm. i'd really love to hear him go in depth about that like well just, yeah a great quote from Jung that i can't get out of my head is uh for if a tree wants to reach the heavens it needs to spread its roots into hell sure right yeah. and that's i feel like that's so true right mm-hmm. and you can see that that sort of uh, shadow self uh, in lots of things, right? Even to a degree, you can see that in in, uh, in some Bible stories, like Christ going into the desert and dealing with temptation. With you know Lucifer telling him you could have this and you can have that and you can do everything, right? And that sort of deals with that. And and uh, yeah. I, there's, it's everywhere totally. When you think I, about I it. think it's so important because people don't want to look at that stuff, right? That's the, that's the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the really uncomfortable stuff, and it's so important. Again, like you said, to have it not creep up in your life. Like if you're completely unconscious of these things that are being run in the background, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden one day you have a, you have a bad day at work and you snap, and all of a sudden yeah. it manifests that way. Mm-hmm. Like that's a terrible way to do yeah. it. Instead of confronting it, dealing with it, and hopefully mm-hmm. being able to identify, and that. you can do it in digestible bits. You know, like yeah. you don't have to like. Like go on some big like personal, 
gut-wrenching, like, oh, my God, I'm a horrible person, human being type experience, yeah. you can, you know, you can just take it in little doses, but be open to that, you know. A lot of people can, there. man. Like, a lot of people, you know, especially some of these college students, right? Especially the ones who say, well, if I was the dictator in communist Russia, I would have done this and this. Like, people who think they're super virtuous, mm -hmm. they don't want to look inwards and say, yeah, you know what, it probably would have gotten to my head, and I probably would have it, done this and this and this. It right? is difficult, I think, coming to terms with the fact that, like, an example that Peterson uses, is difficult coming to terms with the idea that if you have been in Nazi Germany, you very well could have been a camp guard, a concentration camp guard. Right. But you it, could have participated and you could have been perfectly happy doing it. Acknowledging know? the fact that there is evil in us, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think he, he said the same thing. Like, he's like, he's like, you might have been part of the 1% that did not participate in that. Yeah. But like, for the most part, like the social pressure cooker that went on there and, the, mm -hmm. and then the education and conditioning, mm -hmm. he's like, that's why it's like, you have to be you know, to sit there and judge them and be like, they're, they, they, of course, what happened was terrible. It was mm -hmm. the worst thing ever. But it's like, you know, that that capacity for evil does exist inside of mm -hmm. everybody. That's the thing. Okay. It's like, and I, I think he also said like the ones who can't acknowledge that are the ones who are the most dangerous because like mm -hmm. they're because those are the ones who could act it out like even by mistake like again like they, they snap one day and they didn't even yeah. they don't want to but they haven't dealt with that side of themselves oh so. it could definitely happen quickly i mean look at the stanford prison experiment right yeah have you yeah. heard of this yeah totally. i mean that that was like well, why, don't you tell, why don't you explain what that is well the stanford uh philip zimbardo a famous psychologist uh he set up this experiment in a basement of a stanford uh classroom where basically he wanted to see he got a bunch of college students, like 20, 19 years old. He separated half of them into, into guards, security guards, and half of them into uh, prisoners, right? Yep. And he basically wanted to see what would happen with the authority, right? And within like four or five days, they were abusing the prisoners. The prison guards were abusing the... the and it was all it's a game. It was and an it was experiment. Yeah, yeah, and they just got lost in it, right? They knew like, it was an experiment. Yeah, it wasn't double yeah. blind or anything. They knew that, hey, we're just pretending... Yeah, they were, they were aware that it was an experiment, right? But, but yeah, there's a lot of psychological experiments mm -hmm. that could explain a lot of stuff. Like, there's this one called uh, the Robber's Cave Experiment. I don't know Dr. Dr. Sharif. Basically, this is... You're, you're going to love this one. So, basically, they got a bunch of Boy Scouts, all, you know, white, 11, 12 years old, Protestant homes. Exactly the same, right? And they separated half of them into the Eagles and half of them into the Rattlers. And they made these kids basically hate each other because they, they clinged to their color and their logo of their Boy Scout thing. And basically the goal was to see how fast they could hate each other and how fast they could begin to like each other by working together towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. So the end of the experiment, they're like, you have to, because they would do different tournaments and stuff and they would, you know, grow to hate each other. Right. And then at the end of the experiment, they had to get together to like, you know, figure out how to, how a well works. They just forced them to unite to cooperate right? to cooperate right sure so so that's such sounds, a microcosm sounds right? like a little bit of a lord of the flies scenario yeah there. i know right yeah but if you were to extrapolate that out into just uh into different groups and group conflict i mean it seems like that's it's almost like the nature if you have different groups that are in some sort of competition mm -hmm. you're almost you're almost going to have to not you're going to end up disliking them in some way because you know, they're going to do something that's going to encroach on you in some way. Yeah. And then you, you're going to take that personally or you're going to dislike them for that. Then you encroach on back on them. And all of a sudden now you're, you're, you're at yeah. it. You know, you're at each other's yeah. throats. You can, yeah. so, you can so easily see how those two groups can become, you know, you, and, how, how yeah. wars can start, how group conflicts can start. Yeah. Because, you know, and originally they're all the same and they, they were probably all friends to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. But the beautiful part about that whole story is that 
if you actually give them that, a common cause and that common problem to unite around, they came together, solved the problem, and probably all you know became yeah. friends again. Yeah, right? yeah. And and people like clinging to groups to a degree, right? We see this in sports, but we can see this like even to a degree in Harry Potter. I feel like and Divergent and all these other you know really popular uh, kids book stories, right? Where you have these different houses. Like I see so many people say like, "Oh, I'm a Slytherin. I'm a Gryffindor." You know, and people really like get fanatical about it. Everyone and, knows Ravenclaw's words. Yeah, yeah Ravenclaw, exactly, right? And yeah. I think you can extrapolate even that to like these really, you know, Antifa and all these guys, right? And I would say Antifa is probably our biggest, you know, enemy, I guess you could say. I don't, I, I don't want to say we have any enemies, but Antifa as an organization really, really doesn't like us. Right? Is, so is Antifa fairly active in Vancouver? It's, you know, to a degree, but not 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 at a Berkeley level, right? No. If Berkeley's up here, you know, Vancouver Antifa's not down. Even you guys need UFC to step level. it up. So are they an, like are they an organized group? Careful what you wish for. Like, <laughs> no. Uh, no, they're essentially a group of people who frequent a bookstore in Vancouver known as Spartacus <laughs> Books, who kind of all have similar ideas, and when something happens, if they want to go out there together and you know protest yeah. or do whatever they do. It's a very loose collective of like-minded, you know, social dreadlock-wearing yeah, individuals. Yeah, but they put masks yeah. on and uh, of course. and fight fight the capitalism and everything. What, you know, yeah. what, what's a protest without a balaclava? Yeah, right. exactly. Right. I mean, Do you think that there's anything founded in in, in like their arguments against capitalism? Like, because um, you know, obviously there's something that you know something is going on with with North American society as a whole, and it seems like. What's happening isn't 100% sustainable. Just even if you look at like the environment, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is there anything that you could say about their argument? Like, or maybe you could say why do you, why did they why did they take that route? Like, why are they anti-capitalist? What makes you think we're capitalist? What's that? What makes you think we're capitalist? Who? The Canada and well, know, the U.S. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah. we're supposed to be in theory. Yeah. Well, in, I, in theory, I, I, yeah. But I have a theory about them. I have, I have an idea where. I think basically what's going on is if you talk to most of them, which I have, they basically think the system is rigged against them. They say, well, I can't become successful in in this capitalistic thing because I'm this race or I'm this gender, right? And they sort of cut their own legs off and say, well, I can't. They justify mediocrity by, by just saying, well, you know, let's just burn it all down, right? Dr. Peterson talked about this where the Pareto distribution... Where right. as soon as you yeah. hit zero, you become you know really nihilistic and you say let's just destroy the whole thing, right? Play Monopoly. Yeah. It happens all the time. There's always one Antifa member in the end, in every Monopoly game, because they right. become frustrated. So they so they feel disempowered. Yeah, and they are disempowered. They are disempowered. They're so they're angry. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now maybe uh, are they pointing their anger in the wrong direction? Could that yeah. be part? They're of it? pointing it at a system that we are in name, but we are not in practice, which is a problem. I think that we should probably change the name of the whole free market limited government intervention in the economy system because right now we're absolutely not that. There's a whole mountain of regulation, at least in the States, I can't speak to Canada really, that disempowers little people, that disempowers small businesses, that makes it more difficult to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and rise to the top. There's a whole reason why corporations lobby for these regulations. Everyone thinks, oh, slap a regulation on this industry. They'll hate it. No, they lobby for it. It makes it harder for competition to enter the market and challenge them. Right. So, so you're right. saying corporations are actually trying I mean, to restrict small business? Yeah. I mean, for Christ's sake, you have to get a bartender's license to be a bartender in the States and in Canada. You have to get a like a hairdresser's mm. license to cut hair. I mean, yeah, we, well, we, we've rigged. seen we've seen our share of that for sure when opening yeah. our business. Like yeah. we've had to get permits to install speakers. 
yeah, it's bad, right? Yeah. It makes your overhead go from what it could be through the roof and you have to maybe hire a lawyer to, you know, yeah. but is that not a product it? of, of, of cap, uh, of open capitalism? It's not a product of open capitalism, capitalism. because it's a strategic advantage. What do you mean? Because you're creating regulation. So it's harder for the competition. That's what you just said. Yeah. But the whole idea of capitalism is a open free marketplace that the government does not intervene. Right. In so you're saying by them, so oh, so by by them the, regulating it, it's not capitalism. By the capital capitalism. influence right. of the, yeah. of the regulations yeah. on the lobbying yeah. and the government effects yeah. that the pop, the makes it term, not capitalism. The popular anymore. term is crony capitalism. Mm. And it's yeah. a free market where the government regulates, but due to who has influence in the regulatory bodies, the regulations never are never fair. They always favor one side or the other, and the side is always bigger businesses, and especially right. financial institutions. Right. right. You know, um, and what's, I mean, and then I go deeper into that. It's like, so what, what's that all about? Why are the governments not able to um, have firm boundaries? Well, regulations, they want are, money. regulations are popular. Too. I mean, talk to anyone on the street. Should we regulate this? Like, let's put this regulation in place so this business can't, you know, pollute the river. And everyone says, oh, it's a great idea. But the regulation is always written in such a way that makes it that the organization that it will ostensibly affect might be in support of it because it makes it more difficult to compete. I mean, requiring business licenses and all the overhead, all the bureaucratic red tape that you had to go through to open your business, you know, it makes it more difficult for small little, like, Bars or it definitely is harder for sure. Up, a yeah. lot of added expenses, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's it's so interesting. I I mean, like you, people have this idea that we are in a capitalistic society, but it's just I would say can, Canada is uh, is very socialist. It's very socialist. Yeah, yeah. and and I, I feel like it's going to go. You know, with um, what's his name. Uh, our current prime minister Trudeau, uh, Justin. He, Justin. Justin, Justin, yeah, that guy. He's, um, you know, he's now implementing this uh, the small business tax as well, mm-hmm. which is definitely going to chip, and and, that, and that's just going to hurt the, the little guys for sure. Yeah. It's definitely not going to hurt the you know big corporations. Yeah, it's specifically um, targeted at small businesses. Yeah, so I'm guessing like, you know, if you're going to extrapolate and play this out, where do you guys see things moving in the future? Like, are we going to go? Are we going to go back to a more free market capitalistic society or is it going to become further and further controlled and uh, we're going to go more socialist, potentially communist? It will become further and further controlled. Regulations will continue to be popular because people think that just slapping a law on it through the state fixes everything. Um, Things will get worse. They'll point it at the freedoms that businesses and individuals still have in the economic sphere as the reason why it's still bad. And you'll just get more and more regulations until the economy collapses or the government has to drastically change the problem is that regulations are so popular and the idea of deregulating the market so unpopular Mm. that even though deregulation is by far the right decision it doesn't look that way yeah and you need to think of like future voters right you Mm. need to think of like is our, our generation like the kind of generation that wants to be really free and really independent and not have any help from the government at all, right? Are we the Mad Max generation or are we it's mostly interesting the... interesting you said that because I had a conversation on the weekend with, uh, with Lisa's brother, my, basically my brother-in-law, you could say, or something like that. Yeah. And um, we were just kind of talking about like, you know, we have this, I guess, partially romantic idea of like becoming more off the grid and just less reliable mm-hmm. on the system in general. Mm-hmm. However... We came, we're a product of the system. Like, I came from the system. I grew up in suburbia. You know what I mean? And it's just like, 
I don't know if we're the generation that is going to be able to make that full on transition. I mean, there's there's always outliers. Don't、mm. get me wrong, but it's like you got to okay. But can you maybe get the trajectory going for a few generations down the road to be less like so super hyper connected and reliable on the system?、Mm-hmm. But then now, is that just again me? Responding based off of the my my upbringing and would our children be like no I want to be in the city and and hyper connected and you know have all the com-、yeah. like you know what I mean like will they have an opposite reaction kind of thing I don't know we、yeah. had this cool conversation it, it's, it's so hard to say right there's there's a study out that says、uh, Generation Z will be like the most conservative generation ever just by the fact that they're going to rebel. Against you know the really hyper liberal millennial generation. What generation is that? Generation Z is like two thousand born two thousand and up,、okay. right? So like little kids now, right?、Yeah. So, so my、yeah. sister is about to turn eighteen、um, in March, which in itself is terrifying. But she's Generation Z. You're、right? <laughs> in Canada,、uh, so yeah. And I'm a millennial. And when they talk about the differences, the stereotypical differences between Gen Zers and millennials, it's very. Obvious that it's at least grounded in some truth when you look at my sister and I. I, you know, am not fiscally responsible. I'm not frugal. I'm impulsive and lazy, and all these things. And my sister is extremely conscientious. She's extremely good with her money. She's a fantastic saver.、Hmm. She doesn't do drugs. She doesn't drink. She doesn't have any tattoos. All those things I had done and had, yeah, you know,、uh, by the time I was her age. Yeah. So the differences are extremely. Clear, and so the idea is that Generation Z is going to be the most conservative since World War Two. Whether that actually pans out or not remains to be seen, since they're just yeah, about super interesting. Can't really tell. Have、right? you guys like? It's pretty cyclical, anyways. These type of、mm-hmm. generational right. changes, right?、Yeah. We go through waves of this kind of stuff all the time. Well, you have to、yeah. think、uh, the children are a lot of a, a product of their parents as well, and obviously every every generation of parents is going to、yeah. be a little different. So、uh, it's going to be. Yeah, a little transmutation every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's a rebellion, right? Like for example, at the Jordan Peterson events we did back in April, there were a lot of high school kids there,、mm. like、mm. a lot. Wow, like a, a surprising degree. And I was、wow. talking to them afterwards, right?、Hmm. And they're talking about how you know, like they're obviously most of the schools like more you know leaning to the left, but you have this sort of rebel generation coming up where they think it's like really cool to be to the right. Yeah, and I think that's that's cool in itself, but. There should be a degree where you got to watch out how far that goes. That's、oh, yeah. what I was talking about earlier. Is that it's becoming too cool to the point where maybe they're going too much to the right. But for young men to get introduced to Jordan Peterson in high school, yeah, and for him to shape them in those developmental years, I think it's very is, healthy. Yeah, it's extremely positive. Yeah, and yeah. I don't see you going off the deep end of the alt left or sorry, alt right, alt、yeah. left or alt right. Same, sure.、Um, when you're being exposed to Peterson, you're kind of getting a lot of your. Ideas from his line of thinking. You can't really go、yeah. far in any direction when it comes to him. So you guys are, you know, you guys are in you know, free speech club, free thinkers. You know, university. You have bright minds. You know, what's your prognosis for the future? Where Where do you see all this going? How like theatrical, and dramatic、think. should we go? Be? I want to hear it. I want to. Oh,、um, let it run wild.、Oh, shit. Okay, I got to、um, think on this for a second, dude. I think the U.S. will essentially collapse. Um, I think that we'll lose our superpower status. I think our economic power will diminish. I think China will take up that mantle, at least as an economic superpower. Whether they can project power internationally and become a global hegemon,、um, maybe. But I think the U.S. will collapse, and things will get a lot worse before they get better down there. Especially just fiscally. I mean, the government's being run so poorly. I think Europe's essentially over as we know it.、Um, 
just when it comes to their institutions, not to mention demographic changes. What else is there? What okay, are, so what here, here's what I think. About? I, I agree the U.S. is going to collapse. I would agree with you there. I would agree that Europe is gone. I would agree that China is going to become the major superpower. Um, well, India of 2020. India, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about India, but China definitely. <laughs> but, yeah, I would, I would, you know, it just looks like people are becoming more and more divided, especially in the States. You know, you could say the States is a little bit of a microcosm of what's going on everywhere. And you just look at, at you know, I, I look at these videos from Berkeley and stuff, and it, it looks like it's basically a civil war, right? And... And you have these red states and blue states. And unless something amazing happens, unless Jordan Peterson becomes like the biggest voice in the culture or something, I think I don't think it'll be enough. You know, that being said, if I'm going to be optimistic, uh, if we look at how fast our club grew, you know, it's we have over a thousand members now and it's become like one of the largest at UBC. Right. I think there's only like the anime club that's bigger than us. Let's be honest. We only have five active members. The rest are Participate on Facebook, the Facebook let's, group let's, page. Let's not, let's not yeah, yeah, but I, but I mean, let me yeah, ask you guys: okay. Do you guys think that what you guys are offering is, in one way, shape, or form, part of the solution to what's happening now? Ideally, we like to think that, right? And, and just because, again, like you have these tribes, and if they meet up and they talk and they they, they share the same space, they're inevitably going to like each other. But to what degree could we accentuate that where it could cover everywhere, right? Like, yeah. like, like we're about to to become incorporated and we're about to, to grow into an actual company that's my next question yeah what are you guys doing after you graduate yeah oh well because oh. i mean because well, i mean we got like two years left so okay I think we're we are in the process of submitting the documents to become an incorporated nonprofit. um and from there we'd like to expand the umbrella group will be called the association of free speech clubs and then we'll have the free speech club at ubc sfu and try to spread as much as we can and get like this semi-autonomous series of clubs operating across college campuses doing similar things as far as what we do after we graduate uh that's you know guys it's an interesting niche you've kind of carved out for yourselves there if you want to think of it that way have you guys ever thought about doing your own podcast we have We've had some yeah. a couple members try and start up and always quit after five or yeah. six episodes. We've it, never been it is tough to keep it going. Like yeah. honestly, it's like you got to really be determined and want to do it to do a podcast because at first you're going to do it and no one's going to listen. Yeah. yeah. So it's like to just stick with it and really pound it out for a while. It takes you have to want to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because it's like you guys. There's, there's I've seen so many different movements start up in different ways where. I mean, they start off with like, uh, for you know, let's use Man Talks for example. Mm-hmm. It's a great example. They started off really small. They started mm-hmm. having like, you know, like four guys speaking in front of a group of thirty people. Then it grew to like speaking in front of one hundred and fifty people. Then two hundred people. Yeah. And now it's like this organization where they're developing uh, men in entrepreneurship. And they brought in like you know Gary Vanderchuk and mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's because you guys have already kind of started doing the event thing mm-hmm. with Jordan Peterson. Yeah. I wonder if you could carve out a niche for this for yeah. this whole. Yeah. Um, well, that's what know, we subject. noticed, right? We yeah. noticed that, you know, we, we were talking, we we're like, well, we're not really a club anymore, per se, because we're, 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 we're starting all these events, right? And we're basically event planners at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so it would be, and these events are, are so great for networking, too. It's mm-hmm. amazing for networking. And it's amazing for, for meeting other like-minded people. And it does grow fast, right? So we would like to do something like that. Um, and we are in the process now. I think by November 3rd, we, we, we probably will be incorporated. Mm-hmm. We probably will be, uh, yeah. Yeah, the idea is to, at the November 3rd event, um, explain to everyone, hey, we are no longer the UBC Free Speech Club. We are the Association of Free Speech Clubs, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Free Speech Club at UBC. And we come up with a new logo, rebranding, um, talk about our new structure and our new 
mission statement and goal. And then the November 4th event, the conference, is officially like the day that we are no longer the Free Speech Club. We are, or the UBC Free Speech Club, we are the representing the Association of Free Speech Clubs. And we, you know, unveil, we just go in there with all our new branding and we try to, you know, there will be a lot of students both from UBC and SFU and other colleges around, so we'll use that opportunity to try and network with them, try to see if maybe anyone at SFU wants to start up a little club of their own under our umbrella and just go from there. Yeah. But so what are the, what are, you don't know the theme for the first one on November 3rd. We don't know that theme yet. No. But this, the theme for the one on the 4th is? I think you know very well what that is since you're going to be speaking there. Yes. But uh, it will be essentially just to talk about the media and whatever way the speakers want to go at it, right? So for Peterson's talk, I'd really like for him to get into this very abstract conversation about truth and its role in on a personal level, an interpersonal level, and a societal level. He had this really good, um, it was one of his Maps of Meaning lectures in school, and he talked about lying as a means of pathologizing the mechanism in your mind that makes sense of reality. And when you tell lies, you're not only lying to other people, you're lying to yourselves and you start seeing the world askew and not for what it is. And it, you know, deeply affects the way you can move through it. Um, so for him to have a talk like that would be fantastic. Oh man. And then yeah. we're obviously going to have people like Andy Zaremba talk about their experience in alternative media. Mm-hmm. Um, Very excited about yeah, that. We yeah. will have Theron YouTubers. Meyer. Theron Meyer will be talking about her experience in another form of alternative media. Um, we're trying to bring out Dave Rubin, who will speak for, on obvious topics, his experience in alternative media. <laughs> uh, we're trying to get Maxime Bernier to speak as well, talk about his idea of defunding the CB- CBC. I'm not Canadian. It's CBC, right? I, yeah. I don't pay attention. Yeah, CBC. Yeah. This, is a, this is a full day event. A full day yeah. event, yeah. Uh, very cool. Know, also trying to get Jonathan Paggio, mm-hmm. who, like I, we were talking before the podcast, is a orthodox icon. Carver? Iconographer. Yeah, yeah iconographer. It's oh, iconographer. Yeah. the orthodox guy. Yeah, has yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, he's done a lot of videos with uh, with Peterson yeah, before, and he's, really he's pretty good. Videos. That's amazing. And what he would speak about, not quite sure, but we are very willing to play fast and loose with the theme to get as many yeah. speakers we really like to come and speak about. That's very cool, guys. Long, and you know. if someone's interested in, in picking up tickets to either event, where can they go? Uh, so for the November 3rd event, you can go to the thechancecenter.com uh, and just look at the events, or you can go to our event page, just look up Dr. Peterson Live, November 3rd, uh, or join the club, you know, UBC Free Speech Club Discussions is the group page. Uh, and yeah, we, we don't have that many tickets left, which is good news. But uh, yeah, there should be some tickets there, there still. Yeah, Excellent. 30 or 40 left, right? For the November 3rd. Like 25, I think. Well, guys, very impressive. You know, you guys, you guys are doing great things, and I, I love how you've created this forum. Even though it's controversial, mm. even though it's like I'm sure you've taken some pokes and people taking stabs at you mm. on, on campus, but you're you're sticking up for what you believe in. And I think, in the spirit of Jordan Peterson, you are doing your your, your best to speak your truth. And I think that's so important in this day and age. And it's just, that's all we can really do, is right? Speak our truth. And if we happen to be completely wrong, let ourselves be completely wrong and be proven wrong. But it's such an important uh, topic to burn be. off that dead wood. Burn off uh, the yeah, dead exactly, wood, right? Exactly. There's so many. We got to make T-shirts for Jordan yeah. Peterson T-shirts. They'll sell like that, <laughs> guaranteed. Uh, yeah. Awesome guys. Anything else you'd like to get out there? Uh, no, I already did my plug. No, come to our events, November third and fourth. The ticket pages you can find through our Facebook page, UBC Free Speech Club. 
just search that and you'll find our page and you'll find the link to the Chan Center where they sell tickets Perfect. for the November 3rd event. And you'll find a link to the Picketic site to buy tickets for the November 4th event. I believe base ticket for the November 3rd event is $55. Mm-hmm. And the base ticket price for the November 4th event is $30 for students, $60 for general, general civilians, and $100 for VIP. And we'll be releasing timetables and more speakers as we confirm them in the weeks to come. Excellent, guys. Mike, anything else you'd like to add in there today? That's it. No, I'm happy. Um, just a couple cleanup announcements. Yeah, Vancouver Real meetups. Check those out. Um, if you want to get on the mailing list, VancouverReal.tv is a website for that. MindfulMass.org is a mailing list there. That way you don't miss any of these events. So you can at least be notified. Um, and floathouse.ca floathouse. for all your therapy needs. What makes all this podcast possible is Floathouse. So, um, you know, definitely come and explore that environment. It's, it's hugely beneficial on multiple levels of your being. And, um, and give it a shot. So Vancouver Reels, 20% discount on that. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And, of course, if you like what we hear today, leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or Stitcher. It really helps us out. And until next time, do whatever is. Do whatever is.